If you've seen any of the many variations of this video, you might get what I'm talking about. Um, there's a lot of videos, a lot of short uh, reels or TikToks that start with the choose your character video game audio. And it's back in the days when you go into a video game and you would choose your starting character, right? And usually it, it lets you click between different stereotypes, right? Like different clothing styles or different uh, things that you'd be part of. And I've seen a few that are like, choose your pastor, right? Do you have the scholar pastor? Or do you have the sneakerhead pastor? Or do you have the coffee pastor? Um, I definitely recognize a couple of those in myself. And uh, getting ready for today, I was like, yep, I'm definitely the like, going for a run pastor. And uh, I'm gonna tell you about running because I know that's really cliche, but it's some of the, one of the things that I do. Um, I've been running now for about 20 years. A lot of times off and on, different injuries and stuff like that going on. And I've tried a few times in the past year to get to train again just for a 5K, just to go back up. And to be honest, I found myself completely bored. I just couldn't get through the slow, monotonous pace of all the intervals and stuff to go through it. So the past few months, haven't done any of that. Just been like, no, I can't with all the stuff going on. But a couple weeks ago, I'm like, you know what? I need to actually run again. I need to make sure that I'm like training. I'm in a space mentally where I can do this again. But I don't think this 5K thing is working. I think I have to train for a 10K. Because the challenge level makes it seem actually worth it to me. And instead of dragging through all these intervals over and over of two minutes running and one minute walking, there's only like eight of those in the entire 10 weeks. Even today, I'm like, oh, I can just do a straight run of a certain amount of time, that's it. And just the pace of it, I've been like, this is harder, but by setting a harder pace, it's actually easier. And that's not the only place in life where that happens, right? That when you set the right pace of something, if the challenge is too low, we just go, oh, that isn't even worth it, right? Then again, if the challenge is too hard, if I set out to just run a half marathon, that would be way too difficult, right? But right now, I'm like, okay, so a 10K, this pace I'm setting, this is right. This is the right amount of challenge. Um, another thing which is a little, a little unusual, I actually don't mind treadmill running. And about a year ago, we actually got a pretty nice treadmill because when you're running, it's a pretty big part of our lives. And so to be able to just set the pace and go, you know what, this is how fast I'm running. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to do anything to calculate my pace or select certain songs. I just set it to this speed, and this is the pace I'm running, is great. This is the pace, and I'm going to run along to it. And when we talk about pace, right, we can talk about it as far as how much we work, as far as the time that we spend doing different things, about, about a hobby like running. Um, but pace is more of a whole life question, right? What is the pace that we're living at? Not just that we're running at, but what is the pace of our whole life? And some of these questions come up as well, right? How do I have enough challenge but not too much? How do I pour my life into things that are worthwhile but aren't things that are going to exhaust me or destroy me? And so when it comes to God's mission in the church, the big question is this, right? How do I pour myself out for something that really matters without burning out in the process? And as we've been going through this series called The Missional Life, and we've been working with the sermons they have, this is another one where I'm like, oh, this, the content here is so good, right? Like, I think no matter what your age is, your life stage, we have different reasons to connect with different parts of this. And this question of how do I pour myself out for something without burning out, I mean, this is relevant if you're in high school, and this is relevant if you're a parent, it's relevant if you're retired. How do we do something that is significant, that is worth our effort, that is worth what God's called us to, without burning out in the process.
So listen to the words of Paul here, writing to the church in Colossus. And pay attention, it starts about halfway through, to the pace words here. Here's what he says, starting in Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now we start getting into some of the, the pace language here. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all, with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and those and for those at Laodicea and for all of those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Colossians 1.24 to 2.3, and that's the kind of the central passage of what we'll be going to uh, for most of this. So the question is, right, how do I set my life where it's worth it, where I can pour myself out for what God's called me to do, where, it, where it's something that is engaging but not destructive? How do I set my life at a kingdom pace? How do I pour out myself in my life for something that matters without burning out in the process. Now, Jared and I have had the privilege to grow up in small cities and live in big cities and kind of settle in here in kind of this medium small one. So we've been in places where there's 30,000 people and places where there's millions of people. And we find that depending on where we live, a lot of times the pace is set by the city, right? That in Toronto, it can be a lot more go, go, go. And here, it can be more like, well, just, you know, chill out and go to your camp, right? That the, where it surrounds you often can set the pace of your life. And so the different extremes we can find ourselves in, right, depending on our, our circle of friends, the city that we're in, the life situation, um, one extreme can be a fatal pace. When we are living too fast, when we are going to burn out and there is too much stress for what we've been made to do. There's some passages here we're going to read in Matthew and John that relate to that. But if you've ever read the old book, The Cross and the Switchblade, David Wilkerson, right, talks about the founding of Teen Challenge in New York City and the incredible things that happened. Um, and again, it's beautiful, right? But at the end of it, you have these people who are working for Teen Challenge, and they say this phrase, which I find really alarming, it's, I want to burn out for God. And I get to this page, and I'm like, no, don't do that. Like, we need you around for the long haul. We don't need you to go for three, four, five years and, like, work really hard and burn out and destroy your family and your body and your relationships in the process. We want you to not burn out for God. And I've shared this before, but it's interesting to me how his, uh, his great-nephew, Rich Wilkerson Jr., uh, now leads a church in the States uh, and reflects not this idea of burning out for God, but a really, like, sustainable, healthy, sacred pace. Like, somebody who really works hard for God, but also knows how to rest. Because generationally, people have realized that, like, there's this beauty in sacrifice. But we don't want a fatal pace. We don't want one that I mean, lets us to burn out for God in the process. Because if we have a pace that says, i got to be crushing it. i got to be killing it. i got to be kind of using this violent language for how I approach life, Right? 
underneath that is not the ideas or the attitude or the teachings of Jesus. More likely, if we have to be crushing it or killing it all the time, there's some unbounded and unlimited desire here for achievement or for perfection. The idea that you're responsible for everything Maybe that you have to perform at a really high level in order to get certain results. This efficiency and control, which none of these are bad things, but if they become our driver of our pace, that's beyond what God expects of us. You know, we want to do something, and that's healthy to have ambition. We've got a whole sermon talking about ambition later on in this. But it can so easily become an idol when we want to set our pace by just all the things we want to do. It becomes burnout. And Jesus addresses this in scripture, right? In Matthew 6, verse 32, he says, don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And he uses a technical term here. If you're not Jewish, if you're following one of the other religions, that's just pagan. That's a technical term. He says, for the pagans run after all these things. But your heavenly father knows that you need them. To Jesus, this is pagan pace, to run after all these things that you think you need, even the necessities of life. A Christian named Thomas Merton says this about this killing it, crushing it pace. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. I don't think I want to be a violent person. And I don't want to be controlled by violence. I don't want to be mastered by violence. I don't want to be living at this pagan pace, right? We can look at this and go, this isn't what I want. There's a poet named David White. I'm going to tell the first part of the story at the beginning, and I'm going to pick it up again at the end of this teaching. Um, but he, he was much younger before he was a poet, and he worked at this nonprofit. And you know, when you're a nonprofit, you just think you have this portion of saving the world in your hands, right? Like, we're going to do this thing. It's really going to help people. So he was staggering under this ongoing weight that he says of wanting to repair the world. And he said, you know, this is this wonderful, stressful dynamic of we, we, we're volunteering to do this work for which we don't have the time, and quite often we don't have the energy, but we know that it's important work. We want to do it. And in, in articulating this, he says, one of the great difficulties of working in any nonprofit or idealistic organization is that you're constantly trying to save a portion of the world. And at the last meeting, you didn't quite manage to do it. What a line, right? You're, you're constantly trying to save a portion of the world, at the last meeting, you didn't quite manage to do it. So to him, right, there was no excuse to not volunteer for one more thing, do one more thing on his plate. And this took a toll on him. We'll pick the story up a little bit later. But again, we see this all the time in those old books. I want to burn out for God. I have to keep going. I have to do this. And we take on this role of savior of the world, which only Jesus is meant to bear. Flourishing is not to burn out for God. We don't want to shipwreck our relationships or our marriages or our finances or anything else. We don't want to destroy our bodies. We don't want to ignore our homes or our dating life or our children until they shrivel from lack of care and attention. As Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, and what do you gain? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? For what can a man give in exchange for the soul? So what's, our, what's your fill in the blank? Maybe you're in a season of frantic pace, maybe you're not. But if this was for you, what's the thing that's the temptation to take you away from God's pace? And what do you benefit if you gain 
whatever your fill in the blank is, but lose your own soul. Even justice or mercy, your good things, are they worth more than your soul? John Tyson tells a story of a young man that came into the city of New York. And you know, when New York's a pretty busy city, busy pace, people are already working 45, 55 hours a week normally. And he's talking to him about uh, the church, and the guy's interested in being part of his church, says, yep, me and my wife, you know, we're we're here for a couple years. And um, so he starts talking about the vision of discipleship for the church and what they do. And the young guy says, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to have time for that. Because my goal is that I'm going to be here for two years, and I'm going to work 90 to 100 hours a week, and I'm going to save up enough that I can buy a house back where I'm from. And my plan is I want to go back, and I want to leapfrog everybody else and own a house debt-free. And so the pastor, John, says, you know, that's a noble goal. That's a really good goal. But don't underestimate the formative power of living at that pace. Don't underestimate the formative power of living at a pagan pace. Because this is going to affect your soul. And about a year into it, he's working, the t- he's working the, as much as he wants. It's a good goal he has. He's saving money. But everything imploded. His marriage ended. He gained what he wanted. But what's more important, got destroyed. How many Christian leaders have similar stories, though? Carrying a fatal pace. Carrying a frantic pace. How many overtired parents trying to do it all and be it all to everyone? How many noble people serving in nonprofits trying to save the world? Listen to the words of Jesus here. John 6, 27. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Now sometimes, in reaction to frantic pace, fatal pace, we get the van life hashtag. We get complacent pace. We get the idea that we just want to go off-grid, shut down, avoid it all. We're going to overreact and just say, okay, so the, the cure for fatal pace is to have no ambition, no desires, to shut down and go off-grid. And so the goal becomes to, as Chris Farley would say, in a van down by the river, right? Live in a van, <laughs> go off-grid and have pictures of sunsets and yoga poses and places you travel or to have the she shed in your backyard you can get away from, or to have other things that let us take a break. Even the idea of a sabbatical or a vacation, right? Like sabbaticals are great, like taking a break from your work for weeks or months, but a sabbatical is not a cure for a fatal pace. Um, there's a pastor named Kerry Newhoff, and he's from the, Bar- the Barry area, and he says, a sabbatical isn't the solution for an unsustainable pace. A sustainable pace is the solution for an unsustainable pace. Just withdrawing from time to time or throwing up your hands altogether and saying, I'm not going to live at this pace and I'm not going to try anything is not the solution for an unsustainable pace. Even the idea, right, of how hard it is to buy housing now and how difficult it is to get ahead financially, right? Um, To some people, the solution is to say, okay, well, I'm just just not going to try financially. I'm not going to even attempt, attempt it. And again, this withdrawal, right? It's an overreaction. Um... The other thing about withdrawing from things, about this complacent pace, is sometimes it can get very, very divided among male and female lines. 
you can have these like hyper traditional households where it's like, okay, the man goes off and works and he's the one that has to try to do all the fatal pace. And the woman is just supposed to have this calm oasis at home where nothing much happens and don't really challenge yourself. Or it can be the opposite, that the guy should have the easy time with everything and the woman should take care of every other detail of life, right? The idea that one person in the marriage takes on the fatal pace and one person takes on the complacent pace. That's not a biblical vision anywhere, right? That's not the Proverbs 31 vision of both man and woman having productive work. That's certainly not the vision of Priscilla and Aquila tent making and teaching in a church. It's not even Peter with his wife going along with him as they spread the gospel, right? And so this idea of one person in a relationship gets the fatal pace and one gets a complacent pace, that's definitely a cultural thing which is very far from the biblical vision. As the middle class, though, one of the ways it often manifests, one of the ways it often comes out is this obsession with balance, living a balanced life. And, you know, this is a term I've used before, and I've certainly fallen into the trap of thinking of this way. But John Orpik has a very challenging quote on this, which I think makes a really important distinction. John Orpik says this, In our time, the great quest is for a balanced lifestyle. Ask most people in American society today, or Canadian, what they're after, and they will say something about the need for balance. Even so, balance is not the holy grail. Because a balanced lifestyle is not an adequate goal for which to devote our lives. The problem with that goal is not that it's too difficult, but that it's too slight. The problem with the goal of balance is it doesn't allow much room for people in desperate situations. Those in crisis, or the poor, or the oppressed. It's a pretty middle class thing to seek balance, right? At a deeper level though, and I think this is a really key part. The paradigm of balance simply doesn't capture the sense of compelling urgency worthy of human devotion. We're made for more than balance. It's largely a middle-class pursuit. It lacks the notion that my life is to be given to something bigger than myself. It lacks the call to sacrifice and self-denial. The wild, risky, costly, adventurous abandon of following Jesus. And before I read the next part, I was just thinking, you know, as he's talking about this next part, if you ask kids in Gaza or Israel right now what they want or what God calls us to do, I think their answer is going to be more than balance, right? It's going to be, what's a Christ-like response to the things going on in our world? So Ortberg continues, ask hungry children in Somalia if they want to help you achieve balance. And you will discover that they were hoping for something more from you. And I believe that deep down, all of us, we're hoping for something more from ourselves. So is God. Jesus never said, if anybody wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and lead a balanced life. He said to follow him. He wants us to do what he would do if he were in our place. Because balance is often a luxury of the privileged. And as the author of Hebrews says, God's made us for more than the easy road. Hebrews 6 says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So we have an overreaction here, right? Fatal pace can go all the way down to complacent pace. All the way down to where self-care turns into self-centeredness, right? So what's the solution to this? Now, you're a smart, smart group of people. I'm sure you know that if I say, like, this is one extreme and this is the other extreme, what does it mean to live in the middle? Is it just something that we came up with? A guy named Terry Roper, who's a business person, he, he came up with the term here, and he said, the solution, what God calls us to, what we see in scriptures, which we'll read some of those scriptures, is sacred pace. This is the pace of Jesus, right? 
of purpose, of accomplishment, of doing what needed to be done, of having the Father's attention first and the Father's scheduling of his time first, but never being driven by those things. Only called to what God called us to do. So sacred pace, the phrase here that they've written it as is, walking and working with God under the leading of the Spirit. Following the Holy Spirit step by step, keeping in step with the Spirit. That's sacred pace. So we have verses here like Colossians 1.29 that we just read. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Not, not my energy, but Christ's energy as he moves me. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There was a Christian musician named Rich Mullins, and he passed away a few years back. If you listen to his songs, he, like, he loves some instruments like the hammered dulcimer, like really like interesting sounds. Um, but there's some songs like Awesome God that he wrote where the choruses are really famous. And there was another one called Sometimes by Step where the course was, Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. And I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, you'll lead me, and I will follow you all my days. That's, that's sacred pace. That's being in step with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus operated at a sacred pace. He was never in a hurry. We see at the end of his life as he went to the cross, one of the only times we see Jesus in stress and emotionally distressed. When you look at the trajectory of Jesus' ministry, of his pace, sometimes he had a really punishing travel schedule. He'd be up early in the morning talking to God, but he'd also tell his disciples, come away with me and get some rest. And then he had the margin to see people that needed something and say, okay, I have compassion on you and I can follow what, the, what God is saying to me to minister right now. He was in step with God leading him. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The same guy that wrote that quote on balance, John Ortberg, he was talking to Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard's an author that's written a ton about spiritual disciplines. Um, and he was saying, Dallas, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? And Dallas Willard said to him, you must learn to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Orberg was like, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. Like, that's good. That's good, Dallas. Thank you. What else is there? And Dallas looks at him. He's like, there's nothing else. That's it. You must learn to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. If you've, re if you've read a book call called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, that's the quote that forms the title of that book, and that's what he took it from. Because he talks about, this is the pace of Jesus. When somebody talked to Dallas Willard and said, what's the one word you use to describe Christ? Do you know what Dallas Willard said? Relaxed. Jesus wasn't frantic. I mean, he was purposeful. <laughs> but he wasn't rushing. He was at the pace of the Holy Spirit. Walking and working with God under the leading of the Spirit. Many of us are tired and burning out because we're doing things with good intentions that God never asked us to do. Or we're feeling an inertia and a 
frustration and a restlessness that comes from not pushing ourselves far enough. There's a graph called the human function curve. And it basically shows us that, this is just a science thing, I think this is the image from about the 70s, when one of the first times that they, that they showed it. Um, but it basically that when we function best, it's not when there's no stress in our lives, right? It's not when there's nothing going on to push us. As the humans physically, mentally, we need the right amount of stress, what scientists call, call eustress. We need the exact right amount of stress where we can say, you know what? I'm motivated, I'm moving, I'm at the right pace, but I'm not so far into the place where I'm going to burn out. I don't want to live at a complacent pace. And I don't want to live at a fatal pace. I want to live as Jesus did in the middle of that function curve in a sacred pace, walking and working under the leading of the Spirit. If you keep living like you're living, you'll reap a harvest from what you're currently sowing. If I keep living like I'm living, I'm going to reap a harvest from what I'm currently sowing. Circumstances can change around us, and we'll have to adjust what we do comparatively. But there is a reason to say, okay, I'm going to push for a 10K now. I'm going to get up earlier to do devotions. I'm going to get more sleep. I'm going to pull back and do less of this thing. Because we're constantly adjusting, right? Saying, God, how do I work? Walk and work under the leading of the Holy Spirit. God, I want to live at your pace. I want to be like Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we actually put this into practice? And uh, at the end of the sermon that they, that they have for this, this series, they kind of separate it into inner life and outer life. So I've gone with that. I've changed up a couple of the points just to be a little more personal for, for how I've lived this out. But let's think about first the inner life and how we can be people on the inside living in a sacred pace. And then some of the practices, some of the ways that we can uh, do that in, in a practical reality. So John Wesley, if you know John Wesley, um, one of the founders of, of Methodism, and he was a guy who preached and taught, lived to age 87, wrote prolifically. He learned as a boy from his mother, Susanna Wesley, because her husband uh, got into trouble a lot and was in jail often, but she would run church services and do tons of things in her house. And Susanna would put the apron over her head famously. And that was when she would talk to God in the middle of all the things going on and say, this is my time talking to Jesus. And if the apron's over mom's head, we don't bother her. So her son, John Wesley, who lived to age 87, had this, you know, again, punishing travel schedule, all sorts of things going on. He said this about his pace. He said, although I am always in haste, I am never in a hurry because I can never undertake more work than I can go through with calmness of spirit. Never in a hurry. He died at 87. He didn't burn out for God. I'd like to be a John Wesley. One of these things that on the inside pushes us towards a sacred pace is a kingdom vision. Do we have a vision for what God wants to accomplish through our life? For what the kingdom of God is, for what, who God is, and what he's called us to do. God, if you say, God, what do you want to do in Sault Ste. Marie, in my job, in my relationships? How am I supposed to bring, apart, bring about the flourishing and witnessing to you and being part of what you've called me to do? Um, or has that been corrupted by a vision of the world from somewhere else? Am I deciding to run at a pagan pace or a complacent pace or chasing things other than the kingdom of God? Am I spending myself doing things that Jesus never asked me to do? That's where the personal calling comes in. Because God will give grace for things that we are called to do. 
If I decided that I was suddenly going to be a musician on the church stage, I could work really hard and I could do that. But it's not something that God's called me to or given me grace for. And so if I'm spending my time and my energy doing something which I am not graced for or called to, it's a lot different than the things that God's marked me for and gifted me for and called me to in my life. Of being a parent, of doing a job, of living in my neighborhood. And the places that you are in work and where you live and your friendships and relationships and the gifts he's given you are ways that God's given you grace according to your calling. And sometimes he speaks to us and says, this is what I want you to do. Um, John Wimber was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And uh, he's written lots of stuff and lots of stories about, about, about his ministry. But one time he was speaking at a conference. And he's talking to God and he's like, I'm, just, I'm exhausted. And God, like, why am I here? And he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, I have no idea. I never asked you to do this. <laughs> we can be doing good things for God, but if not the things that he's called us to and graced us for, we're going to reach exhaustion way faster. Last one by Carrie Newhoff today. Time off won't heal you when your problem is how you spend your time on. Time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. This is the second part of David White's story, the poet who used to work at a nonprofit, And he said that, I would, he, David White said he's working in a low-grade messianic environment that he had to try to save people all the time. And he said that the violent pace and excessive load were crushing him. So one night he reached a breaking point. And David White returned to his apartment and invited a friend over. And this friend happened to be a Benedictine monk. So he's a Christian monk coming over to David White's house. And as soon as he ar arrived, David White just like poured out his heart and said like, this is what I'm going through. Like, this is what's going on. I'm just, I, I can't take it anymore. And so he's desperate for some kind of insight on how to restore his soul. And he talks to his friend, who's a monk, right? Thinks he has some insight and says, can you speak to me of exhaustion? Tell me about exhaustion. And so somewhat surprised, the monk looks at him and says, you know, the antidote for exhaustion is not necessarily rest. And so David just gets, like, more frustrated, like, what do you mean, like, not more rest? Is it more self-help? Do I need to do a technique? Is there something else going on, like, another practice? And he said, you know, the antidote for exhaustion is not necessarily rest. It's wholeheartedness. You're spending a lot of energy worried and scattered among many things. Like Jesus said to Martha, right, when she was worried and frustrated about many things. So his friend goes on and says, the reason that you're exhausted is that much of what you're doing, you have no affection for. You're doing it because you have an abstract idea that this is what you should be doing in order to be liked. You're exhausted because your energies lay elsewhere. You've been ripening yourself, you're ready to harvest yourself, and if you don't, you're going to rot on the vine. A bunch of our energy towards the wrong things, where we're not called and graced and set for a season of life, we can be like John Wimber saying, God, what am I doing here? And the Holy Spirit's like, I have no idea. A smaller amount of things that we can approach with wholeheartedness is closer to the pace of Jesus than how a lot of us are living. And the third thing I'm going to say about the inner life in the final, it's kind of an old school phrase, but it's just guard the gates. Where are you getting your input about how to spread your life? Where am I getting my input about how to spread my life? Every video I watch, every news article I, I read, every 
bit of input I allow is gonna shape what I think is important. And so I'm careful. As Edwin Friedman would say, that if we wanna be a non-anxious presence, we don't let the most anxious elements around us set the tone. So I only wanna read as much news as I can pray for. I wanna be careful that the Holy Spirit and my family are the ones who are speaking to me the most closely in the word of God before I let other voices speak to me. I wanna limit my intake of social media. I wanna guard the gates, otherwise my pace and my focus of what's important is gonna be spread out. And when it comes to the outer life, a lot of the pace has to do with rhythms. Every day, what am I doing, right? How am I giving time to listen to God and have him speak to me? Every week, am I able to take a rest and not have a Sabbath and say, you know, for one day, God, I'm going to remember that you're God and I'm not, and I'm going to take a break. And then seasonally and yearly, a lot of times I'll end up on my birthday at a coffee shop, or at the end of a few months, I'll end up uh, sitting on the couch one night and just looking at the next season and saying, okay, God, what do, you, what do we need over the next season? What do we need over the next part of life? Even as a church, right, we operate in different seasons and say, okay, God, the next four months, what's going to be going on? What do you want us to do? Where is God good? How am I being formed? What do you want to call me to do? See, as we go into um, the Christmas season, as we go into Advent, we get to sing songs like, oh, holy night, right? And we sing, sing songs like, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. We get to be Advent people. We get to serve God who broke into a weary world. And he said to follow him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This is the final verse we're going to read today. And then I'm going to do a short blessing on us before Jared comes back to sing. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 11, the message. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, there's that walk with me again, and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. We can be people so overwhelmed by the need of the world that we throw ourselves headlong into every cause, and we burn out. Or we can be so overwhelmed by the enormity of what's out there and the frustration in our own soul that we step back and we get complacent and we just shut off and turn off. But we have to learn to live and work and walk at a sacred pace. The world does not need burned out, angry, anxious, snappy Meredith. You guys are like, amen, I know that, right? You encounter me like that. The world needs me and you and those who follow Jesus to learn to live at a sacred pace. Would you bow your heads? And I'm just going to say a blessing over you as Jared comes up to, to lead. May we set aside the frantic pace and complacent pace and lay them down at the feet of Jesus. May we grow in following a sacred pace as we follow Christ together. And may we witness to a weary world who Christ is, and that his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you take, God, our burdens, whether they're burdens that are too heavy or too light, and God, help us to follow you in lives of meaning, in lives of purpose, in lives that you've given us grace for. And help that, God, be a witness to a weary world in your name. Amen. Amen.